means there is a bottom of the inning. So maybe one day we will finish that game. It's 12 to 10 right now. It's not even, it's, the game's not really over, if you know what I mean. Mark might have hit a grand slam, but the game's not over yet. So anyway, hey, um, I want to tell you a story. Alexandra went to the dentist for the first time in like five years recently. You ever had that feeling where you're like, you show up there and you're like, what is this place? Well, it's actually not true for her because at one point in her life, she wanted to be a dental hygienist. She had this whole plan that she was going to go to school and be a dental hygienist. So she's the type of person that walks into the dentist place and she loves everybody. I don't know if you're that type of person. I'm not that type of person because I'm always afraid of what they're going to do to my mouth in, a, in like two seconds where they're going to dig around with that sharp thing and take out all the plaque. And I hate that. But anyway, she walks into the dentist for the first time in years. I just want to tell you something about Alexandra. She's never had a cavity before, okay? Never once had a cavity, right? Perfect teeth. She brushes. She flosses. Before we got married, I, I heard, this is, might be a legend. I don't even know if this is true. She used to brush her teeth in the middle of the day. Is that true? Are you that type of person? Yeah, yeah. Confirm or deny. Yes, confirmed. Yeah. So she's the type that did that. Well, maybe it was because she didn't visit the dentist for like five years. But when she went to the dentist about two weeks ago, she found out that for the first time in her life, the girl had... Not one, but two cavities in her mouth. Two cavities. It's like, what's going on there? Too much soda, right? Is she drinking coffee? I don't know what even makes cavities, but I actually looked it up today. I looked up what happens. <laughs> this is a really funny Google images search. What happens when you leave a cavity? And I saw some really disgusting like teeth that rotted out. And apparently what happens is like, if you get a cavity and you don't get it filled or any treatment, it like makes more and more acid and the hole gets bigger and bigger. So much so it goes all the way down to the root and it will literally infect your gums so that your teeth will fall out. So brush your teeth, everybody. Oh, it's the end of the sermon. Uh, no, but seriously, could you imagine walking in? It's kind of a freaky thing to find out that your teeth have been rotting inside of your head and you didn't even know it. As we speak, some of you probably have cavities, undiagnosed cavities. I'm just going to say that. But it's weird because when she walked in there, she thought she was fine. And she walked out finding out that she had something messed up inside of her the whole time. Well, that idea of there's something wrong and I didn't know about it, that feeling that Alexandra had when she walked out of the dentist. That's the feeling that Nicodemus had last week, wasn't it? Where Jesus told him, you have to be born again or you can't go to heaven. And he kind of freaked out because he said, well, I didn't know that I had to be born again. And Jesus said, are you serious? You're a teacher of Israel and you didn't know these things? That feeling that he had is where we're gonna pick up today. In John 3, verse 16. And I even said it that way because if I said John 3, 16, you'd say, oh, I know that verse already. But I want you to pick up right here in John chapter 3, verse 16. From where we ended last week, we're gonna pick up and see what happens with this guy, Nicodemus. Jesus is gonna continue to talk. Well, I say that, but I want you to raise your hand if your Bible, as you turn to John 3, 16, I want everybody to turn there. Does your Bible have red letters over this section? Raise your hand if your Bible has red letters. Okay, raise your hand. Okay, we got a lot of you. Got red letters on this section. Okay, how about raise your hand if the letters are not red, they're, they're the rest, like they're black or gray or whatever the other thing is. Okay, I have a Bible. I have a lot of different Bibles, humble brag. Um, so do you probably. This one in my Bible, it's in black 
just like the rest of it. But the reason that some Bibles have it in red and have it in black is because they're trying to say these are the words of Jesus. But it's actually disputed this passage. We're not sure if Jesus is talking or if John is talking. Basically, if you study this, this passage, half the people say this is Jesus continuing his speech. Half the other people say he stopped talking in verse 15. And now verse 16, John the apostle is talking about the conversation. But really, it doesn't matter because whoever says this, whether it was Jesus himself or the apostle John as he's writing, we know that these words come from God. They're inspired words. So whether it was Jesus or John that was talking here, it's really important. Let's read what it says. I want you to read it carefully. And like you've never heard this verse before, here's what it says. For God so loved the world. What that means is, whatever he's about to say is a description of the way that God loves the world. Another way of putting this is, God loved the world in this way. That he, that's God, gave his only son. That whoever, whoever believes in him, not about him, but in him should not perish. That means to die. It doesn't just mean to die here and now. It means to die forever. It says, if a person believes in Jesus, they will not perish, but they will have eternal life. Perfect eternal life that goes on forever. That is crazy. And I want you to step back and think, wow, how, how impressive is that really? You know, when we think about God loving us or Jesus loving us or Jesus dying for us, that's a really simple thing. And maybe you've heard that since you were a little kid. Maybe those are some of the, maybe this is the first verse you've ever memorized. God loved the world. But I want you to be shocked by that a little bit. That it says God loved the world. You know, every time that the world is described in the book of John, you know how it's always described, right? Bad, right? The world is bad. In John 15, Jesus says that the world actually is all against me. And that's the same thing he, the apostle John says in 1 John 2:15. He says, we're not supposed to love the world. Now, it's kind of confusing. It says, God loved the world. And then it says, we're not supposed to love the world. Well, what is he getting at? He's saying, God loved the world in a very specific way. If anybody says, God doesn't love people, God doesn't love me, they don't know this passage. Because what this passage says is God loves everyone. God loves the world because he sent Jesus to die for them. Look what it says in verse 17. It says, for God did not send his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world. Condemn is a fancy word, which means to pronounce a judgment, to say guilty, which is interesting. It says, Jesus did not come to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be, might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. The guilty verdict is not on them. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. What it says in verse 17 is, Jesus did not come to the world to condemn the world because guess what? the world, it was already condemned. Jesus did not need to come and condemn the world because the world was condemned already. What does that mean? It means declared guilty, which that means every single person, every single person that's ever been born, every single person here, when you were born and when you started acting and when you started living, God's sentence on you was guilty. It was guilty. And for some of you right now, God's sentence on you is guilty. It's not something that's just going to happen in the future. It's not something that is just going to happen when we die. Then he'll declare you guilty. The truth is right now, people are guilty. And God says the world was already condemned before Jesus ever came. He came so that people might be saved. Look at verse 19. He goes on. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Remember when we talked about Jesus being the light in the first, very first sermon from the book of John, right? John called Jesus the light. He says, 
the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. It's like people who want to hang out in dark places because they don't want people to see them. It's like people who, who don't want any of their activity to be seen by anyone because they know it, it's bad. They know it's guilty, so they want to hide, right? It's like when people, by the way, I know how it works. If you want to talk, right, with your friends during the sermon, where do you sit, right? You sit on the outside. You sit far away, right? Because you, you want to be hidden. You don't want to be seen, right? That's the same idea. He says, people don't like the light. They don't like that Jesus came because it exposes something about themselves. Look at verse 20, next verse. It says, for everyone who does wicked things, that means sinful things, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. You don't want your works to be exposed. When you come to Jesus, he's gonna call you some names, which is what he does in the gospel of John. But look at verse 21. It says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Right here is some good news and some bad news. John 3.16 has a lot of good news, but contained in John 3.16 is this idea, this assumption that you already know that there's some bad news, right? And that's what verse 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 talk about, that there's some bad news for us, that every single person, whether you grew up in church or whether this is your first time here, whether you're a guy or a girl, whether your family has a lot of money or whether your family doesn't have much money, whoever you are, every single person, when we're born, we are guilty. And that's a huge problem. It's a huge problem because every single thing that we do stores up that guilt. We become more and more guilty. Right? You might say, well, how are we guilty even though we haven't done anything wrong? Well, the first <laughs> chances we get to do things wrong, what do we do? We do wrong. Have you, has anybody ever been a babysitter before? Anybody ever been a babysitter before? Did you ever have to teach the kids that you're babysitting to not listen to you? You ever had to teach them that? Say, hey, you're listening to me too well right now. You need to stop listening to me. You need to treat your, your siblings a little bit worse because you're just the perfect kid. You ever had that problem? Right? Probably not right? because they're just programmed naturally, sinfully to do what's wrong. And that creates a huge problem for us. Huge problem because ultimately because we've sinned against God, not just our parents, not just our small group leaders, not just our coaches, not just our teachers, but because we've done things wrong against God, the God who made us, that creates a huge problem for us. We're in big trouble. So what does Jesus tell us to do? Well, he tells us to identify as sinners, realize we're sinners, and ask him to save us. John 3.16 is so familiar to us that sometimes we don't, we're not amazed by it. We're just like, oh yeah, I know that verse. I want you to write this down for point number one. I think it's super important before we go any further. I want you to write this down. Be amazed that God would send Jesus for you. Be amazed that God would send Jesus for you. The more and more you hear John 3.16 and the more you have it memorized that God loved the world, right? That becomes like, oh yeah, I know that. That's not a big deal. The thing is, it's a huge deal. And the more you understand about how sinful you are and how good God is, the bigger of a deal that becomes. God loved the world even though we didn't deserve it. He sent Jesus even though we didn't deserve him. He offers salvation to us. He lets us live if we believe in him, without us even having to do anything. All of that is amazing. That should amaze you. And if it doesn't amaze you, I think we need to take a step back and see, wow, this is a huge deal. I want you to turn in your Bibles to another passage that says John, 1 John chapter 4. Can you turn to 1 John chapter 4? I want you to check this out. 1 John chapter 4. It's to the right in your Bibles. If you're in John chapter 3, turn to the right. It's near the end of your Bibles. 1 John chapter 4. If you turn all the way to the end and turn left a couple books, you'll find it right there. Same guy writing, 
The Apostle John, he's writing in a different way, different context. He's not writing the words that Jesus says. He's writing to these churches, these people. He's testing, for some of them, their salvation, just kind of like we do in these sermons. I want you to think, okay, I want to make sure that I know God. I want to make sure that I'm right with God. That's what John's doing in this letter. And what he says in verse 8 is a very, very famous verse. You've know, you know this. You probably heard this before. But verse 8 says this. This is 1 John 4, 8. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That's a huge statement, that God is love. Not just that he's loving, but he is love. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest, which manifest just means that it was shown, right? Imagine you look at a stage, right? You know those big stages. Can you imagine, close your eyes, imagine um, a stage where people perform. They do performances, and there's a big red velvet curtain, a big red velvet curtain. And behind that curtain is something amazing, something so great, so amazing, something that you've never seen before in your life, but it's hidden behind a curtain. When those stagehands come behind and they pull the curtain and the curtain goes back and you see this amazing thing, what that is, is it's been made manifest to you. You see it. What does this say? God's love is like that amazing thing that's hidden. And then when Jesus comes, he reveals it because he shows you how amazing God's love is. And this is what it is. Check it out. Verse nine, that God sent his only son into the world, the world that's evil, sinful, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means he makes our relationship with God right again when it wasn't right before. That's amazing. God's love is not us loving God. It's God loving us first. You ever been in a fight with somebody that's really bad? A fight where um, people are really mean to each other and this person was really mean to you. Now I'm talking about really mean, calling you bad names, making fun of you, going around to all your friends and saying bad things about you to all your friends. Imagine this scenario. Maybe you've lived this before. Maybe you haven't. I guess it's a good thing if you haven't. Imagine this scenario. And then this enemy comes up to you after doing all those bad things and starts talking bad to your face. How do you feel about this person at this point? How do you feel about them? Right? You probably feel really bad. You probably feel really mad. You probably feel really angry. Right? Do you think it'd be a good idea to... Uh, if they say, oh yeah, go, go up and get me a water bottle. You'd say, get your own water bottle, dude. I'm not helping you right now, right? If they said, hey, uh, yeah, I see that you've got, uh, you got some more amazing chicken tacos that Sabrina made. Uh, yeah, give me your whole plate. I want them. What would you say to that? You say, dude, go, go find another person to pick on. You're not getting my tacos, right? You're not, I'm not doing anything for you to help you, okay? That scenario where a person has just been wronged after wronged after wronged after wronged after wronged, and then they are asked to give. That's the scenario that happened here, but it went further because when Jesus loved us, he loved us before we ever even asked. We wronged him. Every time we disobey our parents, every time we're mean to people, every time we say bad words, every time we laugh at crude jokes, anytime we do any of those things, guess what that is? That's stuff that God is hurt by. God is offended by that. And you might say, well, I don't want to offend someone important, right? What if you offended your teacher? That'd be a big deal. What if you offended your principal? That'd be a bigger deal. What if you offended the, the police officer that comes to arrest you, arrest you? That'd be a bigger deal. What if you offended, you know, the, the most powerful person you could ever imagine? That would be a bigger deal. All of that is just tiny compared to what it is to offend God and to make God upset. And that's the thing. Every time we do even little things that we don't think are a big deal, God sees that as a huge deal. It offends him. And then what does he do? He goes out of his way to show us love. 
at any person here, if you've ever thought, wow, God does not love me, okay? I just want you to know that's a stupid statement, okay? It's a stupid statement because if anybody thinks God does not love me, you gotta look at the Bible. You're, you gotta look at what Jesus did for you because Jesus did something more loving for you than you could ever have asked for. Perfect, holy God comes down and lives as a human being for you. Not just for me, but for you too. Died on the cross, took God's penalty that you deserve, like you deserve to go to hell, I deserve to go to hell. And then he does that instead of us. He comes and takes your place. Could you imagine taking your siblings spankings when they did something wrong against you? Could you imagine that, right? Like they, they um, imagine your sibling steals something from you. They take something that's really valuable from you. And then your parents are about to give them spankings. And you say, yeah, no, 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 no. I'll take the spankings for them. It's like, wait, you were the one that was wronged by this. Why are you taking the spankings? It's like, no, I'm just gonna take the spankings for them, right? What would the sibling, your sibling would be like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you, bro? Like, what's going on? That's what Jesus did for us. He was the one that was wronged by us. And then he steps in and takes our place. There's another verse that says something similar. I want you to write this one down. You don't have to turn there, but the verse is Romans chapter six, or Romans chapter five, sorry, verses six, seven, and eight. Romans five, verses six, seven, and eight. Here's what it says. It says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die, right? You probably would not want to die for anyone bad. You might lay down your life for your friend or your best friend or your mom or your dad or your twin or your best friend. I don't know. Someone who's really close to you. Right, we got a couple of twins here. We got actually a lot of twins here. I don't know what happened. Uh, there's a lot of twins in the narrow right now. Uh, you might lay down your life for them, but you wouldn't lay down your life for the person who hates you, would you? You wouldn't die for them. But here's what verse eight says. This is Romans 5, eight. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why it doesn't make sense for us to say that God doesn't love us. Right? Because it, this verse says that God died for us. Jesus died for us. So whenever we think of John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him they're not going to perish. They're not going to die, but they're going to have eternal life. That should be amazing. It has to be amazing to you. We got to think of it as more amazing than we thought of it before. And we can't take that love for granted. Now, look at verse 17, back in our passage. Turn back to John chapter three. Let's keep reading what he says. John three, look at verse 17. John three seventeen. this conversation continues. He says, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was already condemned. That's something we don't think about often, but this verse basically says that Jesus did not need to come into the world and to tell the world that they were sinful. That didn't make them sinful. They were already sinful. The judgment was already pronounced by God. Right? And for us, I think the best way for us to understand this, I want you to write this down for point number two. Point number two, agree with God that you deserve punishment. Agree with God that you deserve punishment. That's, that's what it's gonna take for us to understand this right. Verse 18, John three eighteen. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. We're not guilty when we believe in him, but everyone who doesn't believe in Jesus, they're already guilty. Like I said, we sometimes think that God's judgment for us is gonna come later, which it is in a sense, but what Jesus teaches throughout this gospel, and he, he says it again in John three thirty six. Here's what he says in John three thirty six: 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Which is not saying the wrath of God will go on them. The wrath of God will meet them one day when they die. It says the wrath of God will just stay on them because it's already there. That's the thing. When we think about how guilty we are before God, the reality is we're already guilty. We're already condemned. And God has already pronounced a judgment over us, which has said, you guys are guilty. You're guilty. And if we're guilty before God, what do we deserve? We deserve punishment. Not just separation from God, not just a timeout, not just a spanking. We deserve punishment. Isn't it hard for people to admit that they're bad people, right? How many people, if you ask them, if you go up and ask people, hey, are you a good person? How many people say, oh, no, 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 I'm not a good person. I'm a bad person. Right? How many people say that? Right? Have you ever even thought that thought? Right? Maybe you think that thought when you look at the Bible, but it's hard for us to admit that we're bad people. You know who it was probably really hard for them to admit they were a bad person? Nicodemus, the person that this, this whole section is about. Right? I bet it was really hard for Nicodemus to admit that he was not a good person. Why? Because remember what Lewis taught us last week? He was a righteous guy. He was a teacher. He knew a lot of stuff about the Bible, but that didn't make him righteous. He was still guilty before God. We have to be honest about that and say we're guilty before God too. And we're not gonna be guilty one day. We're guilty now. All it takes is one sin to make us guilty before God. But have you ever thought about that as really weird? Like why, why does God care so much about it? Like why is it such a big deal? Like, why, why can't he just kind of say, oh, let's just sweep this under the rug. Let's just act like this didn't happen. Why, why can't God do that? Right? Well, when we think that way, we're forgetting who God is, really. We're gonna, we forget who God is when we think, well, he should just not care so much about this. Forever seems like a long time to be punished, right? Separated from God, that seems really harsh. Well, when we realize that every time we come to church, hear God's gospel, his good news, that we can come to Jesus and be saved and we turn away from it. What does John 3, 18 say? Right? They're condemned because they don't believe in Jesus. I want you to think about that for you. You've probably come to church a couple times, many of you. Some of you, maybe you're new to church. It was the first couple sermons you've heard, maybe. But when you hear the Bible and you hear God saying in the Bible that you can be saved from all of your sin and completely forgiven, when you hear that, and you don't do it, and you don't believe in him, and you don't trust in him, do you recognize that you're doing exactly what Jesus says in John 3, 18? You're condemned because you've heard the truth and you're not doing anything about it. I know a lot of you guys, and especially you eighth graders, I know a little bit better than the seventh graders. And I know that a lot of you, you've heard a lot of sermons and you've done nothing about them. You've done nothing about them. And if that's you, and I know that's some of you, not all of you, I've seen how a lot of you have taken God's word and you've put it into practice. You've heard the gospel and you've believed in the gospel. You've trusted in Jesus. You've asked him to save you. That's awesome. But that splits us into two camps, doesn't it? Which is exactly what John 3.18 does. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Jesus actually said later on in John chapter 5, verse 45, he says, I didn't come to accuse you of sin, says you're already accused. The Bible accuses you. It says Moses, the law accuses us of sin. It accuses us of sin and people were looking for salvation and following the rules. But Jesus says, guys, just realize you, you blew it. Like it's too late. You can't, you can't earn your way to heaven anymore. But 
It's not too late to turn to Jesus to be saved. But just realize every time you're coming to church, going to small groups, going home, that's one less day to respond. And the scary thing about our lives is we don't know when they're going to end. We a lot of times assume that we're going to go to high school. We assume that you're going to dress up and go to prom. You assume that you're going to get your driver's license. You assume that you're going to go to college. You assume that you're going to get a job. You assume that you're going to get married. But the problem is all of those things are assumptions. They might not happen. And if they don't, if we never get there, if you never get there, like millions of people in this world don't get there, we got to stand before God. And now, now the scary thing about the gospel is now that you know you are responsible now. You're responsible to do business with God and talk to him and confess your sin, to own up to it. And that, that's the thing that people don't want to do. Go back to John chapter 3, look at verse 19. It says, people don't like this. It says, the judgment is that the light came into the world, but the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. That's like people, I think I said this earlier, but it's like people in the back of the classroom, right, who are talking, who are on their phone. You know those types of people? Maybe you are one of them. I know school is like something you haven't been to in like a year. Right? When's the last time you went to school? Maybe some of you who do homeschool, like charter stuff, you guys go into school. But um, the rest of you, you haven't been to school in like forever. It's been since March, right? You guys don't go back to school. Like you went to school, but you did Zoom stuff, right? Am I right? No? Interact me. I don't know what you're doing. Like you could be doing school. You could have dropped out and be eighth grade dropouts for all I know. Uh, you're doing Zoom, right? No, only two people are doing Zoom. That's the scary thing, Michael. All your parents aren't making you do the Zoom stuff. You guys are going to flunk out of eighth grade. Uh, no, you're doing Zoom school, right? Do you remember back in the day, back in the good old days when there was a classroom and a whiteboard and a teacher? Look, it was, it was old. Like, that's a long time ago. Um, and then the person who was in the back, who was kind of always on their phone, like, like underneath the desk, you know, that type of person? Right? And then they're like, hey, check this out, check this out. Right? Is that you? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, but maybe that was you. And then there's another type of person, right? We have some of these type of people who are here among us. The uh, teacher's pets. Okay? You know the teacher's pets? Right? You know where they sit? They sit right here. Right? They sit right here. All right? Sorry, you guys, whatever. Uh, you sat here, my bad. Yeah, that's what you are tonight, I guess. You know the teacher's pets that all they want the, to do is have the teacher, like, acknowledge what they did? Right, like, oh, oh, I, I, I read it all. Like, I, they didn't read it, but, but I read the assignment. It's like, okay, great, Johnny, great, great. Um, did you notice who I called the, the class clown, or the, not the class clown, the, uh, the teacher's pet, right? I was not a teacher's pet. I was very shy in school, if you can believe that. I'm actually a shy person. We can have this conversation later, but I'm actually a pretty shy person. I just want to say that. Um, I'm good at faking it. Thank you, Ryan. Um, but back in those old days when you were in school, there's a lot of types of people that want to hide their activity. They didn't want people seeing them. And then there were the people that were doing what the teacher wanted and they wanted everyone to see. That's the difference that he's saying. He's saying there's people who love sin and love darkness and because of that, they never want to come to the light. They never want their teacher to find out what they're doing because if they found out what they were doing, guess what they'd find out? It was evil. It wasn't the right thing. They were doing the wrong thing the whole time. They weren't obeying. They weren't being obedient. But there's another type of people that come to the light. Verse 20 says that people who don't come to the light don't do it because they love their sin. That's basically what we're getting at here. But there's another type of person in verse 21 who say, 
I used to love my sin. I don't love it anymore. I want to bring it to God and I want to say, I don't want to do these sinful things anymore. Okay? That's what real Christians do. They bring their sin to God and they say, I don't want to do it anymore. But they bring it into the light. And that's point number three. I want you to write this down. Bring your sin into the light and be forgiven. Bring your sin into the light and be forgiven. Bring your sin into the light. If those people from school, back in the old days when there used to be classrooms, when they sat in the back and they had all their stuff that they were doing and they were on their phone and they were talking to their friends, if all of that was exposed, they would get in trouble, right? Well, that's the big reason why when I said earlier, there's people who don't want to respond to the gospel. You know what you have to do before you respond rightly to the gospel? You have to admit, I lie to my parents. I've been cheating on my tests. I've been saying gossip things about one another. I've been doing things that are wrong that even my parents don't know about. I've been joking about things at school that are really, really bad. And I really don't want anyone to find out. Okay? That's what it's going to take for us to repent. And that's what the word repentance means. We're going to turn from that. But you have to identify what that is. And you have to admit it and own it. And like the analogy says, bring it to the light. The idea is you've got all these secret hidden things, these sinful things. And here's what Jesus says. Bring them into the light. Show them. Right? Not in that you're going to show them off and be proud of them, but you're going to bring them to God and say, I am a liar. I have been cheating on my tests. I've been joking about things I shouldn't. I've been using bad words. I've been gossiping about my friends. God, please forgive me. And the crazy thing is, the promise from the Bible, from God, is that when we do that, God will forgive us. Not because we deserve to be forgiven, but because Jesus died for us. And that's why it's so amazing that God so loved the world. I want you to turn to one more passage in the book of 1 John. Go back to 1 John. Look at chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. I want everyone to turn here. 1 John chapter 1. You're going to look at verse 5. Back to 1 John. We're going back and forth from John to 1 John. It's easier said than done. 1 John's at the back of your Bibles here. 1 John chapter 1. Look at verse 5. It talks about light and darkness, which is what he's talking about in John 3. He talks about light. He says, this is the message, the gospel message that we heard from him, that's Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all, right? God tells the truth all the time and he's perfectly holy and just all the time. He says, there's no darkness in him at all. Verse six says, if we say we have fellowship with him, we say we know God, while we walk in darkness, what does that mean? Sin things wrong about God, right? Error and sin are the two big things there, darkness. We lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We get to know one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we're not Christians. That's basically what he says. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we go to small groups and when it comes time to answer honestly, about the sins that were going on in our life and the things that we're saying that we shouldn't and the ways we're acting at home that we shouldn't. And when it comes time to confess those things and bring those into the light, if what we do is say, nope, I want to keep those hidden. I don't, want, I don't want anyone to find out about that. I don't want anyone to know. If we keep those things hidden, we're not bringing them to the light. What are we doing? We're doing what 1 John 1, 8 says. We're saying, oh yeah, no, I don't have any sin in that area. No, I, I'm good. I, I, don't, I, don't say, I don't say those bad things. I don't, I don't do that. Um, but you're keeping it hidden. It says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But verse nine, 
if we confess our sins. The word confess means to agree with God. Same idea of bringing it into the light. If we bring our sins into the light, what happens? God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess our sins. If we agree with God, those things are sinful and I'm admitting them. God's faithful, which means he'll do it every time we ask for forgiveness. God will forgive us every time. And he's just to forgive us of our sins. Reality is God is not a just judge if he just lets us go for our sin. The only way God can be just and forgive us is if we're trusting in Jesus. That's it. God can't forgive your sins if you just go to God and you say, I don't want to respond in repentance and faith. God won't forgive you. He can't forgive you because Jesus is the only way for us to be forgiven of those sins. If we go to God and say, well, God, I'm sorry for these sins. I I know they're bad, but I don't want to become a Christian now. God doesn't forgive you, right? God doesn't forgive you. You have to give up everything. You got to give up everything to follow him. He doesn't forgive us if we're going to go to him and say, oh, I really want to be forgiven of that sin, but I actually like that sin a lot, and I'm going to hang on to that. He says he can't do it because he can't be just to forgive you if you're not trusted in Jesus. But remember verse 7. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You can have all your sins forgiven tonight. I don't know if you can tomorrow. All I know is right now, you have your sins forgiven, but you have to go to God and ask for forgiveness. Pray to God for forgiveness. Trust in Jesus. Say, I'm going to trust in what Jesus did because he paid for all of my sins on the cross. He'll forgive you. Bringing your sin to the light is hard to do for two types of people. It's hard to do for the teacher's pets because they don't want to admit that there's any sin. They want to say, I'm perfect. I haven't done any sin. Maybe Nicodemus was like that. Bringing your sin to the light is also hard for the people who sit in the back of the class because they don't want to give up their sin. They like doing those bad things in class. They like laughing at those bad jokes. They like following those bad accounts. They like doing all the stuff that they do that they know God doesn't like, but they really like that and they want to hang on to that. It's hard for those two types of people. And most of us probably find ourselves in one of those two categories. We have to realize that hanging on to our sin is not worth it. And also pretending like we're perfect and never confessing our sin to God, that's not worth it either. We have to go to God, confess our sin, agree with God that we're deserving of punishment. That was point number two. And bringing our sin into the light. We know God's gonna forgive us if we do that. That's why it's so amazing that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in Jesus, trust in him, would not perish like we deserve to, but would have eternal life. The biggest exchange ever, hell for heaven. They're complete opposite. We could have that secured tonight. We have to trust in Jesus. I'm gonna pray right now. I'm gonna pray that you would do that. I know a lot of you are ready to do that, but you're refusing. Many of you maybe are not ready because you don't understand your sin. I wanna talk about that tonight in small groups. We're gonna talk about the problem of our sin. I want you to understand that better, but also those of you that know your sin but just don't wanna give it up, I'm gonna pray right now that you would do that. Let's pray. God, you know that every opportunity you give us, you know where it falls in the timeline of our life, but we don't. We humbly recognize that tonight might be our last night. And if that be the case, I just plead with you for the souls of the people who are listening to me. I pray that they would respond rightly, finally. Thankful that I've heard reports that people are and 
Students are trusting in you. I pray that that would continue to happen. I pray that everybody who trusts in you would be amazed by this again. That you would love us even though we don't deserve it. Or your enemies were guilty, completely undeserving of any love, but you loved us so much that you sent Jesus. Pray that you'd continue to reveal sin in our hearts. Pray that the people who don't think they have sin would own up to it. They'd recognize it. They'd see it. And I also pray for the people who love their sin. They know exactly what their sins are. They just don't want to give them up. Pray for those people to see that their sin is foolish. It's just dumb. It's not worth it. It's not better than knowing you. Pray that you'd help us see that. In Jesus' name we pray.